Holy Darnosh. The party works towards crashing the workers' movement. The Price Commission announced the first major price increases on the 3rd of October when cigarettes, tobacco and matches doubled in price. Solidarność threatened strikes and began 50 hours of negotiations with the government demanding an equal say over economic decision-making, which was rejected by the government. At the party's Central Committee plenum, 16th to the 18th of October, Kanya received a barrage of criticism. He resigned as first secretary on the third day, and his resignation was approved by 104 votes to 79. Olszowski wanted the job, but General Jaruzelski, already Prime Minister and Commander of the Armed Forces, was elected by 180 to 4 votes. It was unprecedented in Eastern Europe that a serving army officer should be leader of the party or government. Solidarność's leadership interpreted the change in leadership as meaning little would change and the party would still seek a negotiated settlement. Kanya and Jaruzelski both had similar backgrounds, having risen under Gierek. Both had been understood to oppose Olszowski's calls for a crackdown. Jaruzelski, Prime Minister since February 1981, had put a number of military officers into political roles. For example, after the Bidgoszcz crisis in March and the resignation of the chair of the Provincial Council, Jaruzelski appointed a general to the vacancy. When the workers at the Polish airline lot elected their new director, Jaruzelski intervened and appointed an air force commander instead, causing the locked workers to strike. As the party renewed itself in the run-up to its July Congress, a number of active military officers were elected to various posts. In September, the government launched a campaign under the slogan Order and Security, which embedded army personnel in police patrols. Jaruzelski extended army conscripts two years' service period by two months. At this point, Solidarność should have intervened on behalf of the conscripts, championing their rights, but it failed to do so. Squads of soldiers began to be used to intervene in villages and towns, allegedly to improve local administration. Soldiers doing military service were asked to volunteer to work in the mines, and apparently 7,500 did so. Police applying a new censorship law arrested Solidarność members selling union publications in Katowice and those broadcasting union news from a van in Wrocław. Solidarność's leaders debated this situation at length on the 25th to the 26th of October and called a one-hour national strike on the 28th of October. The union was showing discontent with the government but also trying to assert control over a series of spiralling strike actions occurring across the country. Jaruzelski declared the strike a failure, although Solidarność assessed the action as well supported. 
the union appealed to local organisations to end local strikes. Jaruzelski asked the SEM parliament to ban strikes, but the rigged parliament resisted and only made an appeal for strikes to end. While planning the coup that would come in December, Jaruzelski simultaneously offered discussions on a coalition government or front of national accord. The idea had been first raised in December 1980 in the columns of Politica. On the 4th of November, Jaruzelski met Lech Wałęsa and Archbishop Glemp, the primate of Poland, to discuss ways of overcoming the crisis and the possibility of forming a front of national accord. This was a snare for the Union. The government pursued their tactic. Rakowski said, effectively, in a newspaper interview, that the party was willing to share power. Quote, the era of commands is gone forever, not only in the economy, but in politics. End quote. A different message was coming from hardliner Olszowski, however, who said the party would never agree to a coalition government. In November and December, a new wave of student occupations began. One of the colleges occupied was the Warsaw Firefighting School. On the 2nd of December, the occupation was violently broken by large numbers of Zomo police. The next day, Solidarność's leadership met in Radom. Fawenza declared, quote, Confrontation is inevitable and will take place. Let us abandon all illusions. They have been thumbing their noses at us. End quote. After the Zomo attack on the school, there were signs that some of the police wanted union rights. The founding committee of the trade union of the civil militia objected to the raid, declaring that, quote, the militia was formed to protect the interests of society as a whole, not those of the ruling minority, end quote. Solidarność made no attempt to organise dissenters inside the police or the armed forces, and so to disorganise the repressive machinery of the state. Solidarność December 1981 The Coup the deal Solidarność had struck had accepted the party state and the Union had agreed not to challenge the party's right to rule. The Solidarność revolution of 1980-81 was a self-limiting revolution and by making half a revolution Solidarność was to prove, negatively, the need for working-class militants to develop their own political organisation with the perspective of taking power. The Stalinist party state could accept no open opposition to single-party authoritarian rule. After August 1980, there were two powers in Poland. One would overthrow the other. Fawenza had believed he could work with the Arizelski, but Fawenza had engaged in hopeful wishful thinking. He had disorientated and politically disarmed the millions that followed him. On the night of Saturday the 12th and Sunday 13th of December 1981, General Jaruzelski had the Council of State pass legislation to introduce martial law. There was one vote against, 
Richard Reif of the state's Catholic organisation PAX. Yaroselsky, a man whom Fawenza had loudly proclaimed to the working class as someone who could be trusted, established the Military Council of National Salvation, comprising of 21 military officers, a move which also had the effect of sidelining the PZPR. At the same time as a legal framework for military rule was being legislated, Yaroselsky had most of the Solidarność leadership arrested in their Gdańsk hotel rooms. Thousands of local Solidarność leaders, student activists, farmers' union leaders and former core activists were also detained. Telephone lines were cut off, a curfew and harsh travel restrictions were imposed. Meetings were banned and Solidarność offices seized, schools and universities were closed and military rules imposed on the media and many workplaces. Technically, from the regime's immediate point of view, the coup was extremely successful. A six-day working week was declared, and military rule in a workplace meant workers who refused to follow orders could face a court-martial. Price rises meant real wages were cut by 20%. Archbishop Glemp broadcast an appeal for the workers not to fight back. Utterly unprepared, Solidarność had no definite plan to respond to a coup and had not seen the crackdown coming, the movement had lost almost all of its central leaders. Yaroselsky addressed the nation at 6am on Sunday 13th of December to attempt to justify his actions. He said that Poland was, quote, on the edge of an abyss, end quote. He needed to save the dying economy, saying, quote, strikes, the readiness to strike, actions of protest have become a norm of life, end quote. The state had mobilised and used as much force as necessary to smash the opposition. Later, after the fall of Stalinism in Eastern Europe, a Polish parliamentary commission suggested that around 90 people had been killed in the initial phases of martial law. In the week after the coup, there were scores of work sit-ins, occupations and stoppages. On 16th of December, at the Wujek pit in Silesia, nine miners were killed as workers fought the Zomo paramilitary police with metal pipes and crowbars. Armoured cars and tanks were on the streets. Without key leaders, workers' opposition was uneven and patchy. The Piast miners occupied their pit underground for three weeks. When they finally surfaced, they were amazed to find the government in control. They had expected Poland to have been struck, shut down by strike. The Soviets and other leaders of the Eastern Bloc welcomed the coup. The West, however, was taken by surprise. The US imposed sanctions, including the suspension of $100 million of emergency food aid, and President Ronald Reagan accused the USSR of putting pressure on the Poles to smash the opposition. The Western Europeans agreed that the Russian leadership were partly responsible but did not see the sense in imposing economic sanctions on Poland.
Martial law was to last until June 1983, although a general amnesty was not granted until 1986. Conditions of life in Poland meant 700,000 emigrated to the West between 1981 and 1989. A number of aircraft were even hijacked from Poland to Germany by those trying to leave. In the period December 1981 to May 1986 alone, 1,600 illegal dissenting organisations were smashed by the police and 1,200 duplicating machines confiscated. Nonetheless, roughly 1,350 different Samizdat publications were issued, among them Tygodnik Mazovshe, compiled with the assistance of former corps members and sometimes reaching a circulation of 40,000. Even under conditions of extreme repression, the Stalinist state could not silence the authentic voice of working-class opposition and the willingness to fight for freedom and workers' liberty.